Good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I'm really glad each and every one of you is here this morning. Whatever dysfunction you bring into this place, all the hands went up when Brad asked that question, but whatever you bring in here today, I'm glad you're here, and I believe God's Word has something special for each one of us today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you've brought us here this morning. We thank you, Father, that we can sing, we can praise your name, even in the midst of whatever we're going through. I pray now that my words would be clear, that they would be helpful, that they would bring you glory and honor, burn off whatever doesn't do those things. And Lord, I know some of us today come with uh, dysfunctions and pain that's just almost unbearable. And others come with dysfunctions that seem uh, maybe on the outside trivial, but uh, to the individual, just uh, really hard. So I pray that um, you draw us near to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in a series called uh, Faith and Dysfunction. Let's talk about dysfunction for a moment. If something is dysfunctional, it is not working. Very simply put, it is not working. So this morning, let me simply ask you, what is it that is not working? And where is your belief that God is working even when life is not? In this year of faith story, we've been looking at this faith gap the gap between what I believe to be true, which can be up here sometimes, and my life on the ground, which can be really difficult. And how do we bridge that gap? How do we connect those two in a way that's not just full of a bunch of cliches and lofty sayings, but is actually true and actually matters and actually makes a difference in my real life. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a story in the book of Genesis around the life of Joseph. We're going to start a four-week series on Joseph. We're also going to have some extended time uh, towards the end of our service where I want to pray specifically for some of the dysfunctions that we may be experiencing. Because friends, here's, here's the deal. When we come here on a Sunday morning, we're not just here to receive information. We're not here just to receive information. We're to be together as followers of Jesus, and we believe that God is present and God is working in this place. Amen? If I just want information, I can, I can go on. How many of you have you've been on the new chat, GPT or whatever it is? Anybody, the AI stuff? That just blows your mind. If you, if you think about the future, you could, you could type in 30-minute sermon on Joseph. I swear I didn't do this, <laughs> and I will not do it. But you could type in, give me a 30-minute sermon on Joseph and the sovereignty of God, and it would write that out for you. I kid you not. I feel sorry for English teachers and plagiarism in the future. But anyway, we're not, we're not here just to get information. 
we believe that God is actually working in this place, and God has something special for each one of us. So let's talk about Joseph for just a minute. Many of you, when you think of Joseph, you think of uh, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. You have that picture in mind and the, the coat of many colors, and you have this musical kind of romanticized version of that. And sometimes those things are good, and other times they can keep, they can create some distance with the actual biblical narrative. We're just going to look at the first portion of this story today, but I want to give you the end of the story first. I want to give you the end first. Why? Because sometimes when you, when you know how the story ends, it gives perspective to the pain in the middle. When you know how the story ends, it gives you perspective on the pain in the middle of the story. It's not deeply spiritual, but I, I made no references to the Super Bowl last week. I'm saving one for today. Where are my Chiefs fans out there? When Mahomes went down before halftime, what were you thinking? You were thinking it was over. My wife, Kim, says he's done for the game. I said, no, 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 no. I said, they'll shoot him up with some good stuff. And they did. And he came out and, and they won the game. Now, how the story ended, how the game ended, shapes the way you see that particular moment. Because they won the game, because he's the hero, you look at that moment of pain and you say, wow, that adds to his story of his greatness. Had they lost the game, it would have been a tragic event. Now, that's just a teeny tiny little example of what perspective can do. As followers of Jesus, we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. We know that when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, we know that our eternity with Jesus is secure. We know that we can have a life with God that starts the moment we put our faith and trust in him, and that that will go on forever and ever and ever. We know the end of the story, and we live in what theologians call the already and the not yet. Jesus has already died. He's already risen. He's already secured that for us, but we live in the not yet. We still suffer. We still experience dysfunction. Life is still really hard. But that's the reality of it. But when we know the rest of the story, we have some perspective. It's interesting when you look at the story of Joseph. We spent a little bit of time with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob already. And at one level, we can see, as we've said multiple times, when you look at the book of Genesis you see all the warts, you see all the faults, you see all the brutality of this culture, yet God is working through it all. One really interesting, but I don't think they covered this in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, but one of the things you see about the story of Joseph 
is all the way back in Genesis 15, when God kind of seals the covenant, seals the promise with Abraham. And he says, you know, go get me some animals, and he slices them in two, and they make this great covenant, and, and it's only the presence of God that passes through the pieces, and this, this, it's this wonderful example of God's faithfulness, even when we will not be faithful. But prior to that, prior to that, he says to Abraham, you're, I'll make you a great nation, but you're going to spend 400 years. Your descendants will spend 400 years in slavery. 400 years. I, I can't envision 400 years. But your descendants are going to spend 400 years in, in, in slavery. How are they going to get from the land of Canaan into Egypt? How is that going to happen? That's going to happen through Joseph. Joseph will have this conflict with his brothers. He will get sold into slavery. He will serve under Pharaoh. He will end up in Egypt. So we see even at the beginning here, this big picture of God's sovereignty, big picture of how God will work through this particular family, through all its hardship, and bring about redemption that will ultimately lead to Jesus. But let me give you this verse as our kind of theme verse for the series. Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, the them is his brothers. They have sold him. They have abandoned him. A famine has come into the land. Joseph is in charge under Pharaoh. And there's this wonderful, there's this moment where Joseph will reveal himself to them and they're afraid for their lives. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. God is always working. This story of Joseph is going to point us to Jesus. And it's going to give us a pattern to follow in the midst of whatever dysfunction we're going through. And I want to give you this bottom line for today and really for the, for, for the series. And it's simply this. When you give up, when you give up trying to sit in God's seat, you begin to see more like God. When you give up trying to sit in God's seat, what does that mean? Where are my control people? You like control? Where are my judgmental people? No, okay, some of you admit it. I, I, I appreciate that. Just confession is good for the soul. But when we think about that, we, we have a tendency. Control, judgment. When you give up trying to sit in God's seat, you begin to see more like God. Whatever dysfunction we're going through right now, we have to give up sitting in 
God's seat. There's things we can do, but, but it's going to start with this big idea. Well, let me give you a little bit more backstory on Jacob and Joseph. Sometimes in the story, uh, and we'll, I promise you we'll get into the narrative here in a second. It's a long-winded intro this morning. But uh, when we think about Joseph and his brothers... We need to understand something about his brothers for just a moment. Sometimes we, get, we forget these are terrible human beings for the most part, his brothers. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about sibling rivalry. We talked about messed up situations. Let me give you a couple things here. Reuben, the oldest... And again, in this culture, the oldest is going to get, you know, the, the right of the firstborn and all that. What has is, what is Reuben done? Reuben has slept with his father's concubine and forfeited that. Simeon and Levi, two of the other brothers, their, their sister Dinah was, was raped and there was a, a horrible situation there. And to, to enact revenge, there was this other people group that wanted to intermarry with, uh, you know, with the family and all this kind of stuff. And, and the brothers said, sure, as long as you get circumcised. There's the deal. They said, sure, we'll do that. Well, as they were recovering, they took them all to the sword, killed them all. They became a stench to the people. Later, we'll see Judah, another brother who, who will sleep with his daughter-in-law, who's disguised as a prostitute. If you watch Jerry Springer back in the day, it could be an episode right here. So have this context in mind as we get in here. All right, let's go. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Is that surprising, knowing the character of the brothers? Not at all. Now, Israel, remember this is, this is Jacob's new name. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, 
what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, one of the questions we want to ask of the text this morning is, how does God speak? How does God speak at this particular time? Had the Bible been written yet? No. The Bible had not yet been written. God will speak to Joseph through a dream. So that is God's word to Joseph. Now, when you think of Joseph, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Was it wise to share the dream with his brothers? (laughs) On the one hand, you want to say, the guy just can't read the room. (laughs) But as I've studied the text again, I've been led to rethink that a little bit. If that dream is God's word, why wouldn't you share that? Why wouldn't you share God's word? So I believe there's some courage. I think it's probably a mixture of these things. But there is courage in young Joseph of 17 saying, I have received God's word and I am compelled to share it. He doesn't just get one dream, he gets two dreams, which is a confirmation of that. So in Joseph's mind, this is the word of God and he is to share it. The brothers, of course, are jealous. It's an understatement. They will plot to kill him. Eventually, they will sell him into slavery. He's picked up by the Ishmaelites for 20 um, shekels of silver. And Jacob kept the matter in mind. What is he doing? He's considering this. He's contemplating this. This 17-year-old son of mine has maybe receive this message from God, even though it causes more drama, more sibling rivalry, yet he is keeping the matter in mind. He is pondering it. In some ways, it almost reminds you of a couple thousand years later when the angel will appear to Mary and she will treasure these things in her heart. And Joseph will... A different Joseph will consider these things. So as we look at just this brief introduction here in the story, I want to focus on this idea of how does God speak to us. God will speak to Joseph in a dream, but how does he speak to us today? How does he speak to us today? And how does he speak to us today in the midst of of whatever we're going through. Let me take you to Hebrews 1, verse 1. Always good when the Bible answers your questions. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God speaks to us through his son, through Jesus. Whenever we look out and we see our circumstances, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's where our attention needs to go. So in this little passage, we observe a few things about Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is the substance of our faith. He is sustaining all things. Do you believe that to be true? Do you really believe that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and that Jesus is sustaining all things? In a world of quantum computers and all the mess we got going on in the world, that Jesus is still sustaining all things. If I didn't know the end of the story, I might wonder. But I know the end. He has provided purification for sins. He has broken through. He has died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he's in charge. If Jesus is running the universe, what does that mean? You and I are not. And that's a good thing. So again, when you give up trying to sit in God's seat, you begin to see more like God. So how do we gain this perspective? Let me give you a little more help here. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth had its own dysfunctional messes back in the day. Competition for leadership, people excluding others from the communion table, people uh, getting drunk in communion. I mean, just crazy stuff that's going on, sexual immorality, all kinds of messed up stuff. And Paul's going to make this contrast between human wisdom and God's wisdom. Hear these words from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. God is in charge. You and I are not. And when we actually see that and we get out of the way, we can begin to see more like God. Now, Paul, a few verses later, will make a fascinating statement. Verse 16, he says, we have the mind of Christ. You and I have the mind of Christ. Do you believe that to be true? We can actually think with God. 
His ways are not our ways, but somehow we can begin to have the mind of Christ. In whatever dysfunction we're going through, we need the mind of Christ. I want to suggest to us this morning that there are a few mindset shifts that we can apply in whatever we're going through right now. Let me give them to you here quickly. The first one is to go from saying, I am in charge, to God is in charge. Very simple. How do I know if I'm in charge? (laughs) I already said it. Control, judgment, blame, hurry, worry. Next one, it's my responsibility to fix everyone and everything. Where are my fixers? Some of you are there. To go from it's my responsibility to simply believe God is always working. God is always working, even when I can't see it. God is always working. Another mindset shift is to go from believing God doesn't really care about me and my problems, that God is absent, God is distant, to say God is for me. God is actually for me. He is for you. He is for us. Even when we can't see it today, he is still for me. Another one is to say, I am alone, I'm isolated, versus God is with me. Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. If that is actually true, God is with me, God is with you, God is with us. That can bring joy to any circumstance. The next one, my life doesn't really matter much. You might not say that out loud, but have you ever felt that way? Like is all this, does it, is it really going to add up? To saying God is working through me to save someone else. God is working through me to save someone else. And you may not, this side of eternity, you may not even know what that is. One of the joys of of eternity with God, with believers, will be hearing those stories. You had no idea. And then finally, it's my responsibility to judge, to shift that to say God will provide ultimate judgment and justice. Doesn't mean I don't try to enact justice and mercy and all those good things that we're called to do, but it's not my ultimate responsibility to bring judgment. So I want you to think about those mindset shifts for a moment. And sometimes you can see those, 
contrasted and say, well, of course I don't believe that. This is the right answer. But in your heart of hearts, on the ground, how are you and I, how are we actually living? What does that actually look like? How do I actually see this particular situation? So I would invite you to consider what are the attitudes, what are the mindset shifts that you need to make today? Where does it show up in your life today? What's the situation? Where are you getting squeezed right now? What's the context? What's the relationship? Where do our mindsets need to shift? I also want to give you three quick action steps. Very simple. First one is to pray. There's no clearer way to say to God, I am in charge, than to not pray. Anybody guilty of that? Just your pastor, I'm the only one. (laughs) I can think really hard, I can worry, I can strategize, I can talk to 27 other people, but am I really committed to pray? The God of the universe, Jesus sustaining it all, let's pray. Let's pray. As you know, I give you a prayer card every week as a reminder. I've given you some words you can pray. They don't, you got your own words you can pray, but it's a starter. It's a starter. Okay? But the first step is to pray. This week I've got a a front side and a back side. On the back side it can help you maybe work through a dysfunctional situation. Because as we said last week, some of you, as you are following Jesus, there's a desire to grow and a know-how to grow. And again, there's information to know about the Bible and about Jesus and all that, but information enough doesn't bring transformation. We need the Spirit. The second is to do the next right thing. Sometimes in our dysfunctional situations, we think of macro big changes to make, big steps to take. What's my long-term strategy? The next right thing for you might, might be simply to show up and cry with somebody. That might be your exact next right thing to do. Your next right thing might be to just send somebody an encouraging text today. Faith is made up of little small steps. Sometimes we think because we don't have the big solution, we can't do the little thing. Do the next right little thing today. Don't procrastinators out there, just me again. Do it. Do it. Whatever the next right thing, just do it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Send the text. Make the call. Get in your car and show up. Just do it. 
And then finally, um, get help from others. Get help from others. One of the, I was talking to uh, TJ and Jess this morning about our, our, our students. So excited to see our kids here. And um, I said, well, you know, how's it going? And, and one of them said, well, you know, we're just hearing from our group leaders how connected they are in their small groups. And, you know, it's tough being a kid right now. And for them to say, you know, one, one, one kid was sharing and some others, you're not the only one going through that. You're not alone. Just to know that you got other people trying to follow Jesus and are going through the same struggles, that's a great encouragement. So those three things, pray, do the next right small thing, and then get help from others. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you're working even when we can't see it. So guide us now as your spirit continues to speak to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.